Five Best Books for Dealing with Anxiety and Depression. Published December 27th, 2017. Depression blows. Anxiety isn't any fun either. And perhaps the only thing worse than the well-intentioned friends and family who implore you to just get over it or advise you to keep your head up is the fact that there are approximately 3,102 crappy books out there promising the wave a little wand and sprinkle fairy dust in your ass and everything will instantly be better. In my experience, the best books on dealing with anxiety and depression are the best because they are honest about the situation. There is this thing that sucks and you're not going to magically make it go away. You have to deal with it or engage with it or wrestle with it and come back stronger in the face of it. I get hundreds of emails every month from people who struggle primarily with anxiety and depression. Many of them are looking for a solution or a piece of wisdom or advice. Unfortunately, the only thing I'm qualified to send them is a new Care Bear emoji I got on my phone, and that's probably not a long-term solution for them. So instead, I will send them here, to these books. I have read a lot of books about anxiety and depression over the years, and these are some of the best ones I've come across. They're way more qualified than I am to help you through whatever suckage you're experiencing. And this way, when nothing works and the world is still a steaming pile of dog shit, you can blame them and not me. Books about mental health come in three flavors. One, greater understanding and research. These are books that explain what the latest research suggests ha is happening in your life or brain and what the most effective treatments may be. Building your understanding and knowledge about your problem can often be enough so that you can take care of it from there. Flavor 2. Feeling less alone. These books are writ written primarily to inspire hope. Usually the author has suffered from the same problem as you, except that their situation was orders of magnitude worse than yours. This has the double whammy effect of A. Reassuring you that you're not the only one to go through shit like this, and B. That there is hope. If this guy or girl made it, so can you. Feeling less alone books tend to be the most emotionally powerful and the best written. Three, exercises and actions. I'm personally not a huge fan of books that want you to take out a sheet of paper every other page and write a bunch of crap down, but I know some people are, and I know that some of these exercises can be highly effective. And if the exercises are well done, usually constructed by a therapist or psychiatrist with tons of experience, you can get good results from these books. All three flavors can be more or less useful given the situation or personality or taste of the reader. That's why I've specified the type for each book below. One last statement before we get to the books. Why anxiety and depression together? Well, because they often occur together. In fact, they occur so often together that people will mistake one for the other. A close friend of mine recently spent the better part of the year constantly complaining of anxiety and stress and upon a couple months of therapy, discovered that she had actually been deeply depressed. Similarly, I felt depressed for a brief period at the beginning of the, this year, and looking back, it turns out I was actually incredibly anxious about something in my life, and the feelings of lethargy and meaninglessness were merely my ways of escaping. So anxiety and depression are like two peas in a pod, Sonny and Cher, Bonnie and Clyde, piss and vinegar. They're a package deal. Much of what you'll get from these books is an understanding between the two and recognizing when one or the other takes over. Book number one, The Noonday Demon, An Atlas of Depression by Andrew Solomon.
This book focuses primarily on depression, and the type of book it is is a combination of feeling less alone and greater understanding slash research. Solomon calls his book an atlas of depression, and once you've covered about half of the 688 pages, you'll start to realize why. This is everything you would ever want to know about depression. The personal experience of it, the medical experience of it, the pharmacological treatments, the history of it, the cultural interpretations of it, and of course, Solomon's own struggles with it. The book is a lot to take in. What carries the book, though, is the combination of how well-written it is, along with the shocking severity of Solomon's own story. I'm going to be honest. I've been reading about depression and mental health for many years. I've even suffered from some mild depressive episodes myself. I had no idea the depths this thing reached. This is the only book I've ever read that makes me understand why a person might choose to end their own life. Reading Noonday Demon changed a number of my attitudes and assumptions that I've had not just about depression, but antidepressants, therapy, and mental health in general. Had I read it while depressed myself, it would have surely given me more hope for my own situation, as well as helped me navigate getting myself out of it. Book number two. First, We Make the Beast Beautiful by Sarah Wilson. Focuses on anxiety. The type of book is primarily feeling less alone, but also great understanding and research. I love this book, but I don't think everyone will. This is mostly due to Wilson's writing style, and I suppose the way her brain works. Like a chronically anxious person, first we make the beast beautiful is frenetic and at times overly energetic, leaping from story to story, back 10 years to ahead five years, to childhood, to imagined old age, from personal disaster, to scientific research, to that thing my meditation teacher told me that time, which, by the way, didn't work, but hey, it's funny now, looking back. I enjoyed it because my brain and writing sometimes operates in the same way, but I've seen reviews online from anxious people who have commented that the book actually made them more anxious just by reading it. Obviously, that's not the goal. But all of that aside, I think this book is the best demonstration of what it is to actually live with severe anxiety and still find a way to function and thrive in one's life. Wilson has suffered from bipolar disorder, eating disorders, manic episodes, and intermittent intermittent depression but the anxiety has always been there intensely there and she somehow leveraged it to get her places i've always argued that the key to anxiety is not getting rid of it but merely directing it in more productive ways the heart of first we make the beast beautiful is the same argument demonstrated through a vibrant and slightly crazy life that is unlike anything else i've quite come across before note this book is not out yet in some countries Book number three, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by David Burns, focuses on both anxiety and depression. Primarily, this is an exercise and action book. Godwin's Law famously states that the longer any internet discussion continues, the probability of someone being compared to Hitler approaches 100%. Well, in my experience, the longer an internet discussion about depression, anxiety, or any other mental health problem goes on, the probability that feeling good gets recommended to them also approaches 100%. I see this book mentioned everywhere. That's because if you're going to write a comprehensive this is what three months with a CBT therapist would look like book full of enough exercises to fill a small notebook, then you would have feeling good. 
Burns has done a fantastic job of essentially writing the closest replacement to a real therapist. And as a result, pretty much any time I come across someone who needs a therapist but can't get one for some reason, this is the book that I instantly recommend. Book number four, The Happiness Trap, How to Stop Struggling and Start Living by Russ Harris. Focuses on both anxiety and depression. Type. Primarily greater understanding and research, but also has some exercises and actions. I love this book. It was quite influential on me when I read it years and years ago, and I was upset to recently find out that I had inadvertently ripped off one of the exercises in it in my self-knowledge PDF. It has since been fixed and credited appropriately. Harris is probably the most visible proponent of something called ACT, or Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. ACT is a relatively new form of therapy that argues that the key to dealing with depression, anxiety, or addiction is to not necessarily remove bad feelings, but rather to develop mental tools and habits to simply weather them more effectively. Whereas CBT is focused on channeling pain and suffering into more productive interpretations and actions, ACT just says, fuck it. Bad feelings are bad feelings, and they don't necessarily have to mean anything if we don't let them. To me, ACT is one of a number of more recent developments in psychology that incorporate some of the benefits of mindfulness with a zest of Eastern philosophy thrown in. The Happiness Trap is also one of the most approachable and enjoyable psych reads out there. The writing is clear and fun, and the exercises are engaging. In my opinion, it's one of the best pop psychology books to bring humor and humanity to the subject, and this is one of the few books that pulls that off really well. Book number five, Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself by Kristen Neff, focuses on both anxiety and depression. Type, greater understanding and research, but also has some exercises in action as well. In The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, yes, I had to find a way to plug it, I made the point that true self-esteem cannot be a measure of how someone feels about their successes. It must be a measure of how someone feels about their failures. This isn't a terribly original idea. People have been shitting on self-esteem for a couple of decades now. But Neff is the first psychologist to conceptualize an alternative metric for self-esteem. Self-compassion. People with self-compassion can weather failures, can forgive themselves for screwing up, and can accept their insecurities and flaws and try despite them. Ignore the cheesiness of the title there. Self-compassion is the answer to every time you've heard someone say, hey, don't be so hard on yourself, without any explanation of how to not be so hard on yourself. Neff has not only proposed that this is a more effective measurement of psychological health than self-esteem, but she's also done research in how we get there. How do we cultivate self-compassion? How do we forgive ourselves for fucking up, for not living up to what we want for ourselves, for having failures and down moments and days where nothing seems to go right? Like many pop psychology books, her examples and anecdotes are sometimes cliche-ridden, but the central idea is important enough that this book is still worth a read if you are the insanely self-critical type. Do you know who you really are? That sounds quite philosophical and cheesy, but it turns out that we're all actually pretty bad at knowing who we are, what we want, and what will make us happy. If you enjoyed this article that you just listened to, then you should check out my 22-page ebook where I get 
all into our crazy psychology and why we're so bad at understanding ourselves and what makes us happy. So to check it out, you can go to markmanson.net slash self-knowledge. It's uh, You just put in your email. I send the PDF. There's no spam, no bullshit. doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's just a way to get more cool content to you um, if you want to learn more. So go check it out, markmanson.net slash self-knowledge.